This is a groundbreaking for the podcast. I don't know if you knew this. Fern this is yeah, too. this is the yeah. <laughs> this is the first off-site interview. It's not the first interview I've done outside of my car, but it is the first one that I've taken all this stuff with me. Hey everyone, and welcome to an episode of High Five on the Road. An opportunity for me to take my gear out on the road and start speaking to some of our clients um, and mainly some of our champions who really do phenomenal work, listen to our recommendations and we have great relationships with. So it's an opportunity to speak to them and hear a little bit about their story also. So I shall let our guest introduce herself. So over to you. Hey Phil, it's great to be here. I'm Alicia. I work at Fernwood Cove, which is a girls' summer camp in Maine. I'm the Associate Director of Staff Development. Every interview is always started with the origin point of someone's adventure educational experience. And what we find is that we tend to find those are way earlier now that we know the industry, then we as first thought. So often career isn't like the first time we interact. So we may interact with that before. Can you think of a moment for you that you interacted with this kind of model for the first time? Um, I grew up going to summer camp. I don't know that I necessarily recognized it at that point um, Mm -hmm. of my life. I would say um, I did an internship my final year of university and that was my first real delve into the adventure experiential education world. That's my first time I facilitated ropes course and um, was working with a large number of kids throughout that season yeah. and seeing a different option outside of the summer camp model mm. that it could expand in a variety of ways in that, you know, that general sense of experiential ed, not just being at summer camp. Yeah. Did you, did you from that, like have an emotional experience with that? Something like tethered in your brain of like, I want to do this or what what was the result of kind of doing that program for you? Um, it really solidified that I wanted to be a camp director. Um, <laughs> it, it led me to being yeah. able to help coordinate, um, a unique family camp program that was brand new to the camp that I was working at mm. at the time and being recognized for my efforts and my growth over the years and being able to truly impact programming and see the end results of being there with those kids and their families and their experience and knowing that I really was an integral aspect from start to finish. And Mm -hmm. that really, that was huge. Yeah. I find that like lots of summer camps seem to find like niches or things that they focus on, like uh, uh, performing arts camps or for you, was Adventure Ed something that you wanted to have at the camps that you worked at? Was that like a big pull for you to keep programming in that way? Yeah, like ropes course facilitation and the general ex- personal growth through experiential ed was something that was huge for me. And camp was never not outdoors. Yeah. So it like it yeah. had to have that um, facet. And then programs that truly work on personal growth was – huge. Um, and that's a huge core value here at Fernwood Cove. I, the camp I grew up going to was a 4-H camp and it's, um, you know, a huge learn by doing, you know, Mm -hmm. make the best better. It's all about growth and, and always each day is focusing on how you can make something or yourself that much better. And we do that in in a different way here at Fernwood Cove, but it has to be something that I, I can't imagine not working in that model. 
Yeah, it's funny. When I was interviewing all of the staff, like we realized that probably, you know, 80% of our staff at some point had a relationship to summer camp because, you know, adventure education in the challenge course industry probably wouldn't exist were it not for... The, right. for summer camps yeah. because they're a, an opportunity for this to really be showcased. And, you know, I, f- I find that like a lot of other industries, as much as we know, adventure ed is, is important, struggle to be able to integrate it into their models, like the current model. Right. And almost summer camp is set for something like that to be supplanted into it because there's a lot of pressure. I think from a summer camp perspective that in the summer months, you're really, really focusing on the growth of the child, sometimes more so than academics, which is right. very, you know, traditional academics. Right, right, right. So it's the opportunity where you can throw in what I would consider like pseudo-academia into some of the models, which other places don't get away with. Like I think schools try. We interact with a lot of schools that do some great work, right. but it's harder. They're, they're much more constrained, curriculum-based. Whereas summer camps naturally have the opportunity for growing unique up programs. Right. Um, when when did you join Fermat Cove? How long have you worked here? So this is my seventeenth summer. Oh, so you're pretty new. Yep. <laughs> so new. Um, this is my seventeenth summer and yeah. Fernwood Cove's twenty first summer. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm kind of ancient in Fernwood Cove. Yeah, years. you're like um, ingrained into the history. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I first arrived here in the summer of two thousand and two. Um, and I was a canoeing instructor and a uh-huh. bunk mom. Um, and then after that summer, I moved straight into office, more administrative side of things. I was the office assistant for the off season and then have either done all of the camper scheduling or overseen and supervised camper scheduling every summer since then. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, um, I'm old when you talk about <laughs> Fernando Cove. Summer camp old. It's funny. It's like a, a, when I used to work at summer camp, when it was, I was there, you normally get to like the three and the four year mark. Right. And then you're senior. It's like a unique experience that in this world that is considered senior. Right. How did you manage to make this a viable career path for you? Because I think that sometimes, and I experienced this with people listening to the podcast and people that interact with us, is that it's the same with the work that I do. Out your ed and summer camps are often stop gaps for people getting experience to do something right. else. And finding full-time jobs in this can be challenging. Was it challenging for you or did you end up just like naturally finding, you just kept going at it? <laughs> um, honestly, I think I was just really lucky. Yeah. Um, I grew, like I said, I grew up going to camp. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a teen, um, there, and I had aged out of the camper program there. I was, um, what was called a teen leader. So a teen volunteer that assisted with camp for the week of camp that I would attend. And in my summer after my senior year of high school, I was handpicked and offered the opportunity to come back for a specialty week camp as a paid staff member. And I was the only person out of all the volunteers from that summer that was chosen. Um, And that could have just been a fluke or coincidental, or maybe I was the only person that like that. I don't know that maybe they asked 50 people and I was the first person that was actually available. Um, (laughs) But anyway, so I came back and that, you know, that was my step in the door to be able to apply relatively confidently for the next summer. Um, and that started my first of four years um, working at that camp. My former director there is probably one of my largest life mentors said they're still hiring apply. 
Um, if you're interested and I applied and, and because of that connection, um, in all honesty, had a pretty simple hiring experience because I had this phenomenal reference and connection into things. Um, and then it just kind of grew from there. So I think some of it was luck and just knowing the right people and, and, you know, having that connection. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like, um, like not to toot my own horn, but I always had really high expectations of myself and recognized that this was something that I did want to do. And every opportunity, you never know what's going to come out of it. Um, What do you, because you're, you're in this fortunate position to be mentoring the future generation, you know, you're cultivating them. What is your strategy around trying to mentor the future of this field? Is do you see that you have a great potential to be able to do that? And what do you have strategies? Um, I think I go into each summer with a realistic view. If I can positively impact one person in a way mm. that is like a long-term impact, then I've been successful. So I try not mm-hmm. to shoot for the moon. Like yeah. I know that I'm not going to change everyone's no. lives. Like yeah. that, that's, you know, um, I, I think a lot of it is really modeling what's expected. Um, but also when someone comes to me with a concern or a question or whatever, like legitimately listening and, and being there and them seeing that I truly care. Um, and I think some of that starts at the interview stage. Like, you know, there's no wrong answers. Like I'm here to learn about you. Mm -hmm. And if you have questions to learn about us, like, you know, there's a give and take and, um, and just making sure that people realize that, yeah, I'm your employer and I'm your supervisor, but there's so much more to it. Um, Ferner Cove, like I said earlier, is personal growth is our, one of our founding values. And that mm-hmm. extends from our youngest of people all the way through the directors. Like I hope as much as yeah. I can impact other people that they're going to impact me. Where do you, in, in terms of thinking of the professionals coming in, I think that every year in the last two years, it seems like from our perspective that camps are struggling Mm. with hiring and I think we can attribute to many different factors right the economy is doing well so it means that you can do another job and how do what where do you see the future of summer camp does does the fact that hiring at the moment does that concern you for the future or does it at least change the way that you have to think about hiring because I feel like there are Camps are very traditional oriented. So trying to buck that trend right. and to be adaptive, I think is an important thing. And we find it too for our field, but where do you see the summer camp going? I think we're going to have to make shifts. And I think those are potentially individual shifts. Like our hiring strategies are not going to be the same as the camp down the road mm-hmm. versus, you know, the camp in the Midwest um, and, yeah. you know, wherever, um, obviously residential camp, programs are hiring in a different manner than day camps are hiring. And and there's a lot of different bits and pieces that go into that. Um, I I think there's going to have to be some changes. We've already started talking about Mm. what we need to do for the future and and how Mm -hmm. we can, I guess, make it easier, but also better inform particularly American young adults of what the opportunity of working at summer camp provides. And, and it's not always about the income that you're going to make, but the outcome that you're going to have and, yeah. and working not only with the young adults, but also better informing professors and career centers. And, mm-hmm. and that's something that needs to happen camp industry wide. Like Ferno Cove is not going to 
change no. the world by ourselves yeah. Yeah. Um, in that regard. Um, but the ACA is already starting a national level initiative to to work that, and yeah. and I've seen other. Um, hiring agencies that we utilize um, and staffing resources that we utilize that are looking at what they mm-hmm. can do to help in that way. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is tough. And when the internships and the, all these other things that come up, mm-hmm. you know, that students think that that's what they need to succeed in life. And so I think better educating everyone to, you can achieve that and work at summer camp and impact the next generation <laughs> and truly grow as a person in your personal yeah. life and professional life. Whenever a student comes to us, I always tell them, you've got to go to summer camp because the reality is you can get 500 hours of experience on task at a summer camp if you equate it to six days a week, right. nine to five, um, in terms of programming, that you're not going to get anywhere else. And I think that sometimes students who are in college somewhat roll their eyes and feel like summer camp is slightly a step down for them. Because they've got a degree. Right, right, right. And it's it's a struggle because, it, you know, I know the value of experience. And I tell them, this is experiential ed. I don't have a degree in this field. I got here because I worked hard right. and spent seven, eight, nine years before I even got considered. And it's like a longer period of time. Uh, Fernwood Cove is... I think is the tagline extraordinary world, extraordinary. We're, we call camp the extraordinary world. Yeah. And we're, um, at one point we said extraordinary summers for girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're more than an experience. Okay. Um, but still, um, part of our staff training, there's an hour long session on the extraordinary world, which yeah. ties into Joseph Campbell's, the hero's journey. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we call camp the extraordinary world and anything outside of the Fernwood Cove bubble is the ordinary world. Yeah, from my experience, and I, you know, I get to experience lots of camps. Fernwood Cove is is, is definitely got a feel about it. You can sense that there's the adventure models. Experiential Ed is clearly a part of that for right. just the connection. I, I was, we were talking at, um, I can't remember who I was talking to, but at High Five, when we come to workshops, we eat lunch together, and often the um, mundane or what would be seen smalling small things like right, eating right. meals together is often seen as the thing that's crazy and so people write an email oh it's unbelievable that we eat lunch together and i think that that's the thing that summer camps tend to have is that they do create this extraordinary environment right. where it's back to basics which is just connection right and i think that the, i kind of sense that from being here and I'm only ever here a week at a time, really. Right. But I sort of pick up on the fact that it's definitely feeling that right, way. Right. And it, it, I think that you certainly practice what you preach when it comes to that model, right. which I think is really powerful. Now, the relationship between uh, High Five and Fernwood Cove, um, where, where did that begin? And what, for you, do you see the importance of bringing in high five to do your trainings when I know that you've come to our trainings and you're highly skilled and a lot of people like to do in-house trainings. What do you see the value of the connection that the two organizations have for Cove and, and high five? Um, you're talking about offering the meals at open enrollment courses. Yeah. And I never really thought about that being a part of the experience, yeah. but I can very visibly in my mind's eye remember yeah. my first time being there and being like, wow, this is really cool. And I think that that um, maybe in a subconscious way was something that kind of drove that connection and feeling like our two organizations align Mm -hmm. quite um, almost organically. Like it it happens very naturally. Um, My 
connection to High Five came um, through receiving a letter saying that we needed to do better at training. Um, (laughs) And um, that letter, um, I came across that letter um, in coming into my first season as an assistant director. Um, And it was at that point that I was like, you know, yeah, like if we're going to have a ropes course, if we're going to have a climbing tower, then we need people that are trained and not just like, Oh, here's my certificate. Mm-hmm. I'm showing up from wherever in the world and I know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. but uh, like developing procedures and policies and, and making sure that our staff are trained in those things. So I attended my first, um, adventure basics in 2004. Um, I was Chris Ortiz's first group mm-hmm. that he trained, which makes me feel really old. Um, <laughs> and him and, probably too. Right, right. Um, n- neither of us have aged yes, externally. You look the same. And, no, yeah. Did uh, he have short hair at that time? Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. See, that's, yeah, that ages yeah, it right there. Yeah. If he didn't have a ponytail. No, no, yeah. No. Um, and um, so I think um, my drive for training and, and bringing outside, you know, bringing you guys in versus like the in house kind of model, um, comes in mind realizing that I'm not like, I'm a professional, but I'm not a professional in the mm-hmm. challenge course industry. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, growing up, I was a lifeguard and, you know, worked in a variety of pools and aquatic environments. And, um, until recently I was a lifeguard instructor. So I had to go additional training and, and Mm -hmm. whatever, and being an instructor of something, um, and certifying people or training people is different than like, as a lifeguard, I would have never trained other lifeguards. And, and I think that things like aquatics, um, ropes course, climbing towers, horsemanship, those are, for me, equivocally all the same level of risk, you know? And, um, when I consider, you know, someone hanging, you know, on an element, you know, 20, 30, 40 feet in the air, like to me, that's just as high risk as them being towed behind a ski boat. And if we're going to provide these additional trainings and and resources and knowledge and information for our aquatic staff, Mm -hmm. then we need to be providing the equal for, whatever other staff that are in those high risk areas. Um, We're lucky in a lot of ways that we can train some of our seasonal staff to be those instructors Mm -hmm. and and that sort of thing. Challenge course is not a place where I feel that it it would take us a generation of staff to even get someone to the point of being an instructor. Um, And um, you know, you guys, like I said, align really well with our, underlying goals and philosophies mm-hmm. and values. And, and I think that just works naturally for us. Yeah. And do you find that there is a uh, benefit to the program from doing these trainings? Like, do you feel like um, the, the staff are improving the program through having the training or um, is it skills based for you? That's a priority. Um, I think a bit of both because yeah. um, I'm all about a ropes course, kind of program and climbing stuff, having that experiential side of it. So there Mm -hmm. has to be some staff growth and improvement to ensure that we're providing quality facilitated programs and we're not just an amusement park. Yeah. Um, And that's, you know, those two things are very, very Mm -hmm. different. Yeah. Um, And when we built what is a quite expansive high ropes 
mm-hmm. course, I said, if we're doing this, yeah. we have to commit to the training yeah. as well because it's very specialized. It's very different than other elements that we'd had in camp. Yeah. And if we're making that monetary investment for the facility side of it, then mm-hmm. our campers need to be getting as much as they can out of it. Yeah. And so that obviously means safe skills. Yeah. Um, but also that quality, like that's one of the greatest areas of growth in terms mm-hmm. of opportunity yeah. and, and activity um, for our girls. So um, I, I think it, there's duality Mm-hmm. in there um you know safety is paramount in anything that we do mm-hmm. um i think where you guys definitely benefit is having that specialized knowledge in safety but also being able to then take that and help all of our staff new or returning that are working there understand how they run a safe program but also help yeah. enhance Fernal cove goals yeah. and values through what they're doing it doesn't just impact them as ropes course or climbing staff it mm-hmm. um yeah. you know they're more impactful and prepared for bunk life they're more yeah. capable of helping to guide their peers as much as they are the other campers so mm-hmm. it's a opportunity for them to learn and grow and yes have very specific training yeah but it's that those soft skills transition uh, yeah. into all aspects of their job at camp yeah. so we can invest in you know a small group of people and they can truly impact in a variety of ways throughout yeah. the entire camper population which perfectly leads back to the idea of mentorship right is that those employees who are willing to invest a bit more time into their staff you you may not ever see that it's like we uh jim often talks about um planting seeds you'll never you're right, planting trees right, that you'll right, never right, grow up right, to grow right um and i think that's it's such a hard thing to try to know and i think it's the same thing that i was trying to impart with the staff today that they, they will probably never know that those people had an impact or they had an impact right. on them. I think back to when I first started, there was a guy who, you know, he wore Merrill's and I now wear <laughs> Merrill's. It's like a weird thing that right. like that's right. the thing that stuck for right. me. Um, but he said one thing that was impactful to me about me asking lots of questions and he saw that as a positive. I hung on to that. And when other people do it, I relate, right. you know, like, ah, oh, yes, they've asked questions. I don't want just people to listen and nod. I want them to ask more. And so, um, but I, when I, when we wrote the book Tinker, I was given a couple of books to give to people I wanted to, right, had, right, right. and then sign them and blah, 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 write a message in them. And I sent that to him and he had no idea. That was like 10 years ago, but he had no remembrance, no memory of right, that right. moment. And that's the hard thing. It's like the planting trees that you'll never see right. grow. And I think that's, a cool thing about what we do, it's it's tough sometimes to not to feel like the investment isn't being lost somewhere. Right. But, um awesome. So we we'll transition now into like something a li- some lighter questions. <laughs> um these mean more about your psychology probably than anything else you've a talked about, bit. but we analyze them deeply. It's like a I'm personality sure. test. But um first question, you're a new addition to the crayon box. So Got a crayon box, new edition. What color would you be and why? So your brand new color into crayons box. Now, the thing is, I find that hard question is there's so many. Like the Crayola's already made up every name of everything. <laughs> I know. Possible. Yeah. But if um, you could have to be one, what, what color would you be? I th- <laughs> You're going to think this is, um, I'm saying this just because of the rope that we were talking about the other oh, day. Yeah. Um, but I think I would be. From a distance, I would appear purple. Um, that's my favorite color, so that yeah, works yeah, nicely. Yeah. Um, but I think that I would 
have this, <laughs> I don't know how this would work, um, duality of either being red or blue mm-hmm. um, on most personality quizzes or assessments or whatever. Yeah. I almost fall dead center in the crosshairs oh, of really? like where, you know, introvert and extrovert wow. and, you know, logic and creative. Yep. And I'm very situational. And so I think if I were to be mm-hmm. a crayon, like I would almost be like, you know, the things that like when you hold on to them and they're color changing, like yeah. that sort Mood's of like a mood, a mood crayon. <laughs> yes. Crayon. Yes. That's what I would be. Yeah. I'll have to cut you an end of that rope to send you. That, <laughs> it is really cool. Purple from a distance, red, right. white and blue from up close. Uh, if you had to live the remainder of your life as an animated character. Oh, wow. Who would it be? An animated character. Now as a parent, my I know, my changed. library of animated characters is so yeah. so incredibly vast. Once again, this is all leads in like the power of meals. We've already sort of talked about we were having had a meal earlier where I was saying a kid told me me that I look like Llama Llama Red. Right, right, right. So my brain is like immediately that's where I would be. Yeah. Um an animated character. I would say Either Mulan or, mm. um, oh, now I'm totally spacing her name, but the princess and brave. Yeah. Um, and I think because as a mom of a young girl, there's so many pressures that to be some sort of way or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be able to represent that you can be a tough warrior and you can be strong but that you can also be a princess and, and yeah. you don't have to forsake one to be the other. And yeah. and that um, just because someone appears in a certain way doesn't mean there's this other side of them that's kind of just waiting for that, uh, that opportunity to shine. Yeah. Mulan, that's a great one. Uh, every time that someone climbs a pamper pole, I have to play the... Because there's the whole scene. Yeah, yeah, the so, straps. Yeah, that has become. I'm glad that's not now how we. That's not how we do the pamper ball. Yeah, I think it'd be awesome. We keep on a rope. All right. So this one is. I've asked this at every single interview. Would you rather fight a hundred horses that are the size of a duck, or one duck the size of a horse? I think a hundred. Horses the size of ducks. Rationale? Um, <laughs> when I was younger, I grew up in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, um, and there, my parents have a pond in the backyard, and we had, um, for a very short amount of time, um, a couple of ducks and some geese, and they were really aggressively, like, gnarly yeah. come chase after you creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of, like, a duck being the size of a horse like i would in my mind i'm imagining then that that level of aggression grows as the, the size of the animal grows <laughs> yeah that's definitely yeah true. um and then yeah, like i also grew up riding horses like so you're more comfortable so like yeah there's that sense of things and then you know they'd almost look like little puppies you know like yeah. kind of thing. yeah i think that's how like Sometimes people hear the word fight and it's like how you determine what that might mean for you. Right. The reality is I'm not built for fighting. So <laughs> I, fight for me is way different than someone who's able to do that. Right. I don't go in with aggression. I go in with like, I got to figure out how to get out of this. And I've heard one person said when I asked them, and I, what I think is good about this question is it, 
every answer is always different. And it, if you do this, ask this question to a group, it splits the group half and half pretty much every single time. That's crazy. Unbelievably. I've done this hundreds of times. You know, if I'm doing it with a group of like 12, six people will pick this, six people will pick that pretty much on the, on the nose. There was a, uh, young woman who said that she was going to sell the horses and make a million because, and sell them to sweet 16 parties, which is actually a really, really smart plan because you can imagine tiny duck sized horses would sell. I'm imagining my daughter, like, would yeah, my like, daughter. Yeah. And we live on a, a horse rehabilitation farm, which right. is surrounded by horses right. and there are minis there, but not that. Many. Right. Right. That's that, like, that's like carrying your pocket. That is a like, pocket horse, you know. emotional therapy horse. <laughs> You'd have them on flights. Oh, what's that in your pocket? Is that a dog? No, that's my tiny, tiny pocket horse. <laughs> All right. Um, that is a perfect way in my book of ending. And we tiny are. Pocket horses. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, it, nothing means ending to me more than yeah. talking about a horse in a pocket. So thank you, Alicia. No I've really enjoyed. I'm happy to help out and happy to be here. Yeah. It was fun. Absolutely. Fun conversation. We are in a kids' library as well. I don't know. Like, no one will notice. We've no. gone from my car to a very surrounded by kids' things and like very comfortable pillows and looking out at a lake. So, once again, I know this is an audible thing. So, that is useless for everyone hearing this, but <laughs> it's a pretty sweet view. You, you're unlucky to not be here. Okay. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. And do it again. Thanks for listening. And can you say, uh, thanks for listening to High Five? Thanks for listening to High Five. (laughs) And then what about, thanks for listening to High Five's podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for getting, I think I'll pass the guy. (laughs) 